Thessalonians. There's a Bible in front of you as well if you want to use that. If you are uh, someone who doesn't have a Bible at home, uh, we'd be happy to give you that Bible that's in front of you, the Black Pew Bible, for just take it with you today. Otherwise, it's printed in your bulletin as well. This is our second week. We just started a series in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. It is our normal practice to go through books of the Bible. It helps us to stay focused, to actually receive the Bible like uh, it was originally given to us, and it also helps us go in deeper into passages that we might sometimes want to skip uh, and, and pass by because they're uncomfortable for us. And there's going to be a few of those in First and Second Thessalonians that we're going to talk about as we get there. But today in First Thessalonians chapter 2, we have a very beautiful passage about Paul's ministry in Thessalonica, which is in Greece. We talked about last week the, the gospel came to this Greece, uh, this, this nation, this province of, of the Roman Empire, and, and really the gospel started in Europe then. When Paul went into Macedonia, called by uh, this vision of God, he went into Greece and he started preaching the word, and this was the start of what became Western Christendom. It was a hugely significant move, but as we talked about last week, really it was just the normal preaching of the gospel, the normal um, way that God works, and yet it exploded in growth in Thessalonica, and now suddenly wherever Paul goes, he's greeted with people who just hear about these Thessalonians and how amazing their faith is, and so he writes to commend them, and he also writes to set them straight a little bit as well as we're going to talk about, but today... He writes this portion of the letter to let them know what his ministry there was all about, because his ministry has come under fire. He is uh, defensive, as we read this passage, but in defending himself, he actually lays out a beautiful model of ministry of loving people. And this passage is very dear to me. It has been for many years as as a model for the way that I wanted the ministry of Ascension Church to be. And we're going to talk about that as we go along as well. But let's read the first, verse, first eight verses of chapter 2 together. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, when I was a a freshman in college, actually after my freshman year, I had a summer job. I uh, was a business major at the time, and I got a job at a factory of a Fortune 500 company, and the factory made these corrugated cardboard boxes. 
And so, you know, girl, uh, the Girl Scout cookies, we made those boxes, uh, all kinds of big brands. And so for a summer, I spent an internship at this company making uh, these boxes on the assembly line. And the reason why I got the job as a business major was that this company was trying to hire future management. And so they, they brought in these interns from college students, put them on the floor, made them do you know, the, all the, the hard manual work of, uh, of being on the line. And, and the theory was that these, uh, these young students, myself being one of them, would someday be the upper management of the company. It was kind of a training program. But it was a disaster. Uh, this was a horrible idea, and the reason why it was horrible, as it played out, was that there were so many mixed motivations for this program. The college students who went in to, to work on this factory floor, and by the way, this was a brutal, this was, this was uh, very hard conditions, very hard strenuous labor. Our whole motive was to make a lot of money for the summer. Um, and that, that's a motive that I pursued. There was lots of overtime available. I took it. I was able eventually to buy a really nice guitar uh, and, and, and a, an engagement ring uh, years later with this money. So my whole goal was, you know, to make money. That was my motivation, as was everybody else that was in this program. The company, as I said, had a different motivation. They wanted to train up new leaders and you know, even as we were working together, we were like, yeah, we're not going to work for this company, you know, afterwards. So they had a motivation that was not uh, in line with ours. When we worked on this floor, we, we worked with a lot of machinists who, were, who, had, who made really good money and were uh, great people overall, but they had been told that these young, wimpy 19-year-olds coming in were going to be their future bosses. And so how do you think they treated us? This was like their one moment to, to really, you know, lay it on us. And so they did. And it was just horrible working conditions. Their motivation was, let's just, let's run all these kids off because they think they know something and they don't know how to work these machines. And we didn't. The added stressor was that there was an insane amount of work. The, the fewest hours I worked that summer was 72 hours in a week. And sometimes up to 100 hours in a week of work. And just so many orders and so many bad conditions. And uh, when the summer was over, they closed the program down, and the company went on strike. And uh, all these mixed motivations came to a head, and eventually the company closed down, or they were bought by someone. I don't think they're around anymore, but it was very poorly run because there was all these mixed motivations. Who Everybody wanted different things. Now, Paul writes a defense to the, the church in Thessalonica about what motivated him when he was there because what they perceive and what they're being told by others is that Paul was here with a different intent in mind. He wanted to take advantage of you. He was only here for three weeks, as we talked about last week. You know, he, and now, and then he's gone. He just wanted you to feed him. He just wanted you to give him money. He just wanted you to listen to him, to build himself up. And, and so the, the Jews in Thessalonica, that's the main opponents, they, they run Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town, um, and, and, and as they do so, they, they start you know, planting these seeds of accusation. Paul didn't care about you. He doesn't care. He just wanted your money, and he wanted you uh, to follow him, and he's got his own little movement, and so he starts to sow these seeds, and Paul writes 
the, the book of Thessalonians in part from Corinth. Remember, he and Timothy and Silas went to Corinth and they write this letter back sometime later and they say, that's not why we were there. That wasn't our motivation. The opponents are, are wrong. And so Paul is rightfully somewhat a little defensive in this passage. As you read it, you might think, whoa, defensive much, Paul? I mean, goodness, you sound like you, you really are being defensive here. And he is. He's going on the defensive. But it's not just for himself. It's for the purity of the gospel motivation that drove him to, get, to bring this gospel message to the Thessalonians in the first place. My motivation was gospel love. Verse 3 says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. He says, what it springs from, the, the appeal that we made to you, it springs from the gospel message. Not any of these things that you are hearing. And it's a good way for us to talk about motivation this morning and, and what our motivations are when it comes to loving and serving others. Many of us have questions about this. We wonder, you know, I'm, I'm doing good things with my life, perhaps, but what's the motivation behind it? And, and is that motivation important? I think we all know that inside it is, but, but does it matter that my, my motives are good and correct? We're going to be talking about that. The question I want us to look at today is this. How can we ensure that our love for one another is coming from a pure gospel motivation the way that Paul does? I want to ask three questions that Paul then answers for his own ministry. And as we think about our ministry amongst others, we need to answer these questions as well. The first question is this. Are my desires genuine? Are my desires genuine? The first thing that Paul defends is his genuine character. He says in verse 3, our coming, sorry, verse 1, our coming to you was not in vain. A better translation of the word in vain there, that's a fine translation, but here what Paul means by that is was not insincere. We were coming from Philippi, he says in verse 2. We had already suffered and been shamefully treated as at Philippi, as you know. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Okay, we didn't come insincerely. We came from Philippi, he said. And if you remember the story, we read some of it from Acts. They got persecuted in Philippi. They, they got thrown into jail and they met the Philippian jailer and they brought he and his family to faith and so... Then they were run out of town, and they were run out of town in Thessalonica as well. He said, we had conflict in Philippi, and we came to Thessalonica in the middle of much conflict, but we still had boldness to preach the gospel of God to you. He's basically saying, it wasn't like it was a bed of roses, you know, <laughs> to be with you. Uh, let me just remind you that there was, if I had a sense, an insincere desire, I probably would have gone elsewhere. I wouldn't have come to Thessalonica because it was hard to be there. There was much conflict. We could have shared a different message. We could have placated the, the Jewish group that was there. We could have said things more in line with them. If we were just trying to take advantage of you, then 
then we would have said a different message and done a different thing or maybe even gone to a different place. But we came and we preached boldly because of the message. Our desires were genuine. Now within that desire, he tackles two more questions, basically, that might be in their minds, but he is confident in his answers. And the questions are ones that we can ask ourselves as well in any kind of relationship. What do I want to gain and whom do I want to please? Paul says that he did not want to gain anything from them. Look at verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. It says our appeal doesn't come from an attempt of error, or actually the word there could be fraud, an attempt to deceive. The word, uh, the phrase there, attempt to deceive, is, is, is used often of, of fishing, a fishing situation where you, you bait a hook and, and you bring the fish in. He's saying there, is, there was no bait and hook. There was, no, there, there was nothing behind it other than what it was. What did I want to gain? I only wanted to gain you having the gospel. Now, it's important for Paul to say this, and it's important for us to say it as well, that there are those out there then, as now, who do teach the Scriptures and do proclaim a form of the gospel for their own gain. This is real. The word that we have for it, which is not very commonly used, but um, is, is sophistry. And it's a Greek word because, and they're, and they're in Greece here in Thessalonica. He's being accused of sophistry. What they would have is these sophists who would come, these, these philosophers who would come and teach. And because they were good speakers, then people would give them money. And so they went from place to place in order to gain more money. And Paul knows that that's happening, but he, he roots back and he says, our desires were not that. We didn't want to gain anything from you. What do we want to gain? Was it money? Power? Influence? Reputation? None of those things were driving us. What was actually driving us was the desire to please God. That's the second question. Whom do I want to please? And this is equally important. In verse 4 he says, So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We preach the gospel, Paul said, with one audience in mind, an audience of one. It was God himself. That was the goal. If the goal was to please man, we would have preached a different message because it didn't please men. They ran us out of town, if you recall, Thessalonians. This is bold. I love the boldness of Paul where he says, our desire was to please God who tests our hearts, examines our hearts. Paul, as he writes that, knows that God is examining his heart right then. The boldness to say, God is witness, verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness. He actually calls witness of God to say, this was our motivation, and it was pure. 
We didn't do it to please man. We didn't even do it for our own advancement. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as an apostles of Christ. It wasn't about that for us. We weren't trying to be glorified in your eyes. We weren't trying to get money, nor were we trying to get influence. He says, this is where our motivation came from. Our desires were genuine. What did we want to gain? Only that you understood the gospel. Whom did we want to please? Only God. When we think about this with our own motivations, think about your, maybe the hardest relationship that you have right now. The one that requires the most energy and attention in your life. You may have questions about your motivations in those relationships. Do you have genuine desires for that other person? You can ask yourself those two questions. What do I want to gain? And whom do I want to please? Am I trying to gain something from someone? And it doesn't have to be something like money. Very few of us would say that we're trying to milk money away from people right now, but it could be that we want some kind of affirmation from them, that we want some kind of emotional response from them. It could be that we're trying to be healed ourselves from some kind of past wound. It could be that we want some kind of glory in their eyes. What do you want to gain? Let's go even deeper. I mean, I think many of us know this about ourselves if we're honest that some of us have a need to be needed. We want others to be dependent on us. And so we, we help them, but there's a, there's a kind of, in that help, it's really for us. It's for our gain. Could we call God as our witness, as Paul did, and say, this is what I wanted, purely, for his sake. It could be that we need from other people them to succeed so that we ourselves can feel like we have succeeded. This is a trap for us parents, wanting some kind of success for our kids so that it reflects well on us. What do you want to gain? Whom do you want to please? Is there someone in your head, an expert or a book that you've read? Is it yourself? That you, that you really want to seek to please yourself in this relationship. How many of us would be willing to say, in this relationship, all I want to do is please God? That's it. He is my only audience. No other motive. See, we begin to see how challenging this actually is. And we're going to talk about the grace that is there for us in just a moment. But we need to feel this. Our motivations are often not genuine. They're driven by a gain or a pleasing of someone else or ourselves. That's the first question we have to ask. Are my desires genuine? Secondly, the question is, are my actions gentle? Paul continues his defense of his motives in verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This is the way that we were with you. 
I need you not only to believe that our motivations were genuine, Thessalonians, but I need you to remember our actions. Our actions were not self-serving. The word gentle there is actually the word for infant. And so it's very interesting. Paul here says, we were infants and nursing mothers. Just a few verses later, we'll get to it next week, he's going to say, we were like fathers. We were like your father with his children. He's going to use all three metaphors and all of them family-oriented. But here he begins with an infant. We were like babies. And the, the idea here is he's talking about an innocence. We were, we were so gentle. We were, we were like babies. Babies, they don't have manipulation bones in them yet, right? They get, they get it pretty quick, but <laughs> it comes. I've got some experience with that, but it's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not immediate. When, they ha- when they're kids, they just, they're innocent. In the in this sense that it's very straightforward what they want and need. And Paul says, that's the way we were. Very straightforward what we wanted and needed. We preached the gospel to you. Like a mother, a nursing mother, a nursemaid, he says. That's the way we were. Taking care of her own children. In one sense, we were innocent like, like infants, but in another sense, our actions were like mothers. We were nourishing, we were caring, we gave attention to you. This is what he describes his ministry as. I want to speak... Uh, to all of us, but especially to the men in the room this morning, and remind us that neither of the pictures that Paul gives us of his actions and purely motivated actions were macho. Paul was certainly capable of cutting and harsh words. He was certainly, like Jesus, very adamant um, about telling the teachers who were leading people astray and the religious leaders who were pharisaical, he was able to give them their harsh words. But when it came to serving the ones that he was called to love, gentleness was the virtue. How willing are we to be the infant, to be the nursing mother in our families, in the church? Because gentleness is not just a virtue in and of itself. It is. Love is gentle but it's also a window into our motivation. Think about it. When we blow up in anger, any one of us, men, women, or children here, when we blow up in anger, when we strike out, we need to ask, what's driving this? Does it come from a gospel motivation? Or, in most cases, we need to see our anger is really about our own insecurity. Our anger is really about our embarrassment. Our anger is really about our own needs to control a situation. Our anger is really about any number of things. Very rarely does it come from a righteous place, right? Even though that is possible, as the Scriptures teach us, to be righteously anger, to to have anger and not sin. But let's be honest, most of the time it doesn't come from that. It comes from a different motivation. Paul says, we were gentle We were like infants, like a nursing mother. 
His actions were gentle. Third and finally, the question that we can ask ourselves that Paul answers, is my commitment generous? I love verse 8, the last verse in this passage that we are reading today. When Becca and I were um, replanting this church in 2017, I remember us discussing verse 8 together, praying over it. I remember as we gathered uh, a group of people, some of you in this room, many not, into our living room to talk about what this church would become, did a devotional on verse 8 because it so captured what it was to have a life together as a church. And what Paul describes here was what we desired for what God would have us do next. Verse 8 says this, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. The three-pronged vision, a prayer for our church culture was this, that we would be affectionately desirous, that this would be a place where we loved each other. There was, there was not just a sense that we were at church or that we were doing something together, but that we had affection for one another. We prayed, God, Give us a desire so that we love every person who comes in here. To share the gospel. Not only did I share the gospel, he says. And that was a desire for us too, to share the gospel every week. To make it about Christ and Christ alone. But not only that ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. More than just the gospel, there would be a life shared. And I'm so thankful that God answered those prayers. I do believe this is the kind of culture that we have here, where we, we are a place, we love each other, and we share the gospel, and we share ourselves our very lives. That kind of generous culture is what Paul said he started in Thessalonians. We came with genuine desires, gentle actions, but also with a generous commitment. We loved you. We shared the gospel freely. We shared our own struggles, our own lives. It was life on life. If you remember Thessalonians, it wasn't that, that we were leaders and you were some kind of underlings under us that you just had to do what we said. That's not the way it was. We lived with you. Another way for us to evaluate the purity of our motivations with one another is to ask ourselves, what am I willing to commit? Is there a sacrificial character to my relationships? Am I sacrificing my time and my energy and my efforts even when, maybe even especially when, it's, we know that it's not going to be received well. Paul had enemies in the church at Thessalonians. He had people, detractors. But he's, he still was motivated to share his life. Is my life open? We can ask ourselves, 
Is my table open? My home open? Because this is what a pure motivation from the gospel does. It opens us up to a generous commitment of life together. What if it's the case that we have bad motivations? <laughs> if the answer to the question is no, if we're not, as I think most of us, maybe all of us in this room, would struggle to say what Paul says, God is my witness. My motivations were pure. Which one of us can say that? More likely, we are in a place of confession now. I'm not purely motivated by the gospel. I have used people in small ways, maybe in big ways. I have been harsh and not gentle. I have been closed off. My commitment has been mostly to myself and not to others. How many of us could say, God who tests our hearts, I just want to please Him. How can Paul say this? Well, I take great comfort from the fact that Paul was not always this way. He was not genuine. He was a Pharisee, trained by Gamaliel, the best of the best, and he sought the glory of men. That was his whole life trajectory. He was a zealot. He wanted the world to know just how far his zeal went. He sought the approval of God, not man. He was not gentle. He was very rough. He abused the church. He ordered the persecution of God's people. He witnessed the stoning of Stephen with approval, holding the coats. He was not a gentle man. Nor was he generous with his life. It was entirely focused on his training, his influence, his right relationship to the law, his performance. What happened to Paul? That he could years later say to the Thessalonians, I'm here with God's blessing and only the motivation that he has given me. What happened is, is he met the risen Christ. Paul says, we were ready not just to share with you the gospel, but our own selves. How did he learn that? He learned that from Christ. The life of Christ, which is the gospel. The Christ came into the world. Good news of great joy that the angels say, this announcement of the kingdom, Christ has come into the world. And what did Jesus do? He announced the coming of the kingdom, but it wasn't just with words. He gave himself. He gave his very life. Christ was the news, but the news in and of itself is meaningless unless Christ shared himself. He gave up his life so that, it, so that through that, the world would be saved. So he shared the good news and he shared himself. And Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. He met him and he was changed. And then he realized in that moment, perhaps for the first time, and then Many, many years of studying and coming back to the gospel. This wasn't instantaneous. Paul goes off the map, 
as far as we know, for a number of years, up to a decade before he starts teaching, where he is learning Christ. But starting in that moment, he realizes that the risen Savior who confronts him is, is the one who gave himself. And if that's true, then my life in him must be one of self-giving. It must be motivated by him. There is no one, the Scripture says, who is naturally and purely motivated. Our desires have been too twisted by sin. Too, too many things have crowded in into that precious real estate of our hearts where there's this war going on. Why are you fighting, James says? Is it not because you have these desires that war within you? But the light of Christ shines the good news onto that and teaches us what it means to, to be purely motivated because of what Christ has done. The good news is to the worst of us sinners, the, the least purely motivated, can receive Christ, see what he has done, and then be, by being united to him, change over time our motivations. And that is what happened to Paul, and that is what happened to, to us when we receive Christ for the first time, our hearts are changed. And we begin a new direction away from self and pleasing man and towards God, pleasing Him. But it takes time. The more that you root yourself in Christ, the more that you reflect on Him, the more that you spend time together, the more that you evaluate and journal out what your motivations are, the more that you fill yourself with His presence by coming to church and being with his people, the more that you eat at his table and fill yourself with Christ, the more you will see that your motivations, as well as everything else in your life, is changed, not because you have found the secret, but because you have been found in Christ. And the good news becomes more than just a message. It becomes a way that we live because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray.